Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, and today we are hitting the data hard. That is, we're talking with sponsor Thousand Eyes. These folks monitor the internet, they monitor cloud providers, they can tell you all kinds of things about performance, and we're going to talk about how the globe is doing in the face of a pandemic. Traffic patterns have shifted, we're working from home now, we're learning from home now. The strain on the networks are, some of it's shifted and some of it's just more. There's just more going across the global internet. And so how are we doing? It hasn't been perfect. And Thousand Eyes is going to share some of that information with us. Uh, Ned, now I know you know about Thousand Eyes, but we haven't chatted with them before. What, uh, what stuck out to you about this conversation? I thought what was most interesting to me was what they can figure out from the data they're, that they're collecting. The fact that they know that there's more VDI happening right now because they can monitor that or the fact that they can see, oh, this ISP was having problems, but it wasn't a bandwidth issue. It's because they were doing maintenance. So it's really amazing what insights they can gather from the data that they're collecting across the internet. Yeah, I, I supported a, a network that was a Thousand Eyes customer a while back, and I loved looking and being able to get some pretty deep insights into what was going on. It's like, how do they know that? It was a pretty <laughs> awesome tool to use. I've, uh, I've been a fan for a long time. So Day2Cloud listeners, uh, enjoy this conversation that we have with Archana Kesavan and Angelique Medina uh, from Thousand Eyes. Welcome, Angelique and Archana, to the Day 2 Cloud Podcast for the very first time. Now, Thousand Eyes, you guys have been a Packet Pusher sponsor for a long time, and people that listen to heavy networking really know you guys well. But this is your first appearance on Day 2 Cloud, so I think it's appropriate if uh, one of you would give us an overview of just who Thousand Eyes is, because maybe there's some folks listening who don't know. Thanks for having us on the show. Uh, as always, it's exciting to be in any type of packet version show. So um, Thousand Eyes, for those of you who are less familiar with us, um, we essentially provide enterprises visibility into how the internet is impacting end user experience. Now, when we're talking about end user experience, that could be uh, your customer's experience of digital services you might be providing or um, employee experience as you're moving towards SaaS and, you know, um, adopting uh, the cloud. Very good. Okay, so we, we get it. You're in the measurement space, um, and you've got a, not, a lot of knowledge about what's going on then on uh, on networks, and then can translate that data into how users, consumers of applications are actually experiencing those apps. All right, can you give us some more on where you get that insight from? Where are you getting that data from? Yeah, absolutely. So we have these vantage points that are distributed around the globe. So these are in ISP and public cloud uh, providers. And we also have enterprises who deploy them on-prem or on their employee devices like laptops. And from all of those vantage points, we are actively um, uh, looking at performance. So these are through um, active probing, um, looking at uh, the latency, packet loss and jitter of the network at a hop-by-hop -hop level to a particular service or application. And then also looking at how the application itself is performing in terms of the response time of the server and how quickly you can execute a, a synthetic uh, transaction. Uh, so that's where we derive the data. And because we have all of these vantage points, we can uh, effectively aggregate them and, and collectively look at where there are trouble spots um, on the internet, as well as um, in public cloud networks and in the networks of 
CDN providers and DNS providers and other application providers. So it's a it's a lot um, of information that we're able to to look at, and so we can see effectively where there are issues either on the internet or say even in a public cloud provider. Yeah, and for those of you that are used to using, say, Ping or Traceroute as tools to try to figure out what's happening to your traffic as it goes across the internet, you get a little bit of data there. Now imagine that times a thousand. You see what I did there? Um, you get you get a lot more insight on that hop by hop basis into a network that you don't own. You can still see a lot yeah. of detail with with thousand eyes. And then, of course, over the years, you guys, as you said, have added transactional stuff and application level stuff, which gives you even more data. That gives you uh, uh, information and insight into exactly what's happening between you across this network that you don't own to some endpoint that you're consuming. And today, of course, we're going to focus on what's going on with uh, a variety of different cloud uh, platforms and SaaS-hosted solutions and, and other things, since you've been gathering a lot of data recently. The context being, we are going through a global pandemic right now. And therefore, traffic patterns have shifted as most of us are working from home or are learning from home if we're students, et cetera. And the internet has changed dramatically in the traffic loads that we're seeing and how applications are consumed and the, just the amount of applications are consumed. So how is COVID accelerating people's cloud initiatives? What are the big challenges remote workers are facing today? Use that, all that data you guys have and uh, give us some insight there. Yeah, so it, just like you mentioned, Ethan, the traffic patterns have definitely changed with COVID, right? Um, I mean, we are seeing, our enterprises are actually seeing a reversal in traffic patterns right now. Uh, if you look at it from their data center uh, perspective, uh, uh, that's completely changed, right? Because users are now connecting uh, from their homes, from remote locations uh, into their data centers, which kind of didn't happen as much before. And one of the ways that has accelerated um, enterprises towards cloud initiatives is specifically in terms of um, how they're using uh, VPNs, because VPNs are providing that secure connectivity from for these remote workers, and no one really planned for their entire workforce to be remote. So while um, you know the infrastructure was in place in terms of handling remote connections, like you know figuring out your VPNs and your gateways. How much of capacity that they can handle uh, was never really at this much scale. So what we are seeing is our customers are relying more on the cloud, cloud-hosted VPN services um, to actually provide that you know connectivity to their remote workers in a fast and efficient way. I, I yeah, absolutely. I, I agree, Archana. I mean, I, I think that with a lot of our customers, this period of time has really offered a proof point on the agility advantages of moving to the cloud because now you can very quickly respond. And from a business continuity standpoint, it may be much harder to um, deploy on-prem, um, uh, for example, or make on-prem changes or increase your capacity in terms of your VPN. But if you're in the cloud, you're able to do that very rapidly. And so this is something where even for some of our customers who are not um, who have not made that journey yet to the cloud? This is this really has kind of offered a very strong proof point to the business of why they need to be moving in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. The other uh, place there we see cloud being used heavily is you know from the perspective of um, adapting to VDI or remote desktop services, right? Because um, I mean, 
we are in, in the industry we are in, we're uh, fortunate enough to have um, company uh, owned laptops and, you know, our connectivity has never been interrupted, but there are a lot of workers who are now remote, but don't necessarily have, um, you know, a physical device or, or they have to use their home based, you know, their own physical um, uh, laptops or desktops to connect. So VDI has has kind of um, kicked up uh, there as well uh, in terms of um, cloud usage. You said VDI, and I guess I didn't anticipate that that was something you were going to say. Um, just from a from a data perspective, how can you even tell that VDI is happening? Well, we're seeing a lot of customers um, ask us uh, for it, right? Because they want to be able to now monitor um uh, those remote connections that are coming in. And um, like Angelique was saying earlier, one of the way our platform gets insights is we have these remote um, uh, agents that can be deployed on desktops and laptops. So enterprises now want to understand how their remote workers are um, experiencing, be that an internal application or a SaaS application. So they're heavily using our endpoint um, agents to measure that. And that's where we're learning that um, a lot of them are actually relying on um, AWS workspaces, for instance, right, um, for their employee connectivity. And that's really how, um, you know, we know that the usage of VDI services have gone up. To, to get back to the VPN uh, topic, I, I think you're both spot on there in terms of an ideal use case for cloud is bursty type traffic and needs. If if you're seasonal and you need to burst out to the cloud for something, and this is just a very odd use case where we do need a whole burst of traffic and it just happens to be for the pandemic and the VPNs. I'm curious how this is impacting the traffic flow for those who are connecting through the VPN, whereas before they were inside the corporate network and then just going out to the internet. Now they're sort of tromboning almost to go into the data center through the VPN and then going back out to one of these SaaS applications. Have you seen that sort of increase in traffic or are they relying on more of a split tunneling thing? I don't know if you can tell that from the data, but I'm just curious. Well, we have heard from our customers who have been telling us that they they have been um, in many instances doing split tunneling um, to you know, prevent some performance degradation for users who are simply connecting to, um, you know, just uh, web browsing or maybe connecting uh, through uh, to a SaaS application. Uh, so that's something that, you know, it's, it's anecdotal, but that's what we've heard from a lot of our customers. Um, but it's also interesting, too, because there's these other services, you know, cloud-based um, edge services, um, like, uh, for example, um, either an enterprise gateway or um, some secure uh, web gateway uh, companies where there's a lot, it's, it, they certainly become attractive from that standpoint. So rather than users having to connect in through the VPN and then maybe to your point, have to you know, effectively hairpin and go back out onto the internet, um, using a cloud-based distributed um, web gateway service can um, prevent performance issues there and also this the VPN um, becoming a choke point. Yeah, okay. one of the um, um, things and the split tunneling piece is they also, enterprises are also now um, recommending in order to keep their VPN connections low, uh, when and when not to connect to the VPN to their employees, right. yep. you know, so they are giving them some best practices in terms of um, 
uh, applications that you're using that you need to use, uh, you know, connect through the VPN for versus, you know, locally breaking out. Right. Or they're doing, um, you know, maybe in in the intervening time when they had to scale out their capacity, they might, um, depending on the time of day, so maybe in one region, they might move over those users who are during working hours to another region that's, you know, that's off off working hours, and then vice versa to, to effectively load balance the traffic in that way um, as they as they quickly spin up to, to address the volume. How are the public cloud providers doing uh, during this? We haven't heard of many issues, but I've also heard of a lot of little issues. So can, do we have a sense of how the big public cloud providers are, are doing as the traffic patterns have changed? Yeah, they seem to be doing very well. I mean, in just in looking at network disruption over this period of time, you, you know, going, if we look, for example, going back to January through February and then the end of March, we're seeing that pretty normal levels of, of outage events within the cloud providers network. There's always little events that take place um, or incidents, and we didn't see any corresponding increase in disruption as traffic increase. So it seems like the cloud providers, you know, their massive networks, extensive edges, they've been able to absorb um, any increase in traffic during this period, which again kind of speaks to the advantage of using um, using them for hosting and, and other services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a, a cloud network outage, you mentioned disruption. How do you guys define an, uh, a cloud network outage? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what we're uh, defining as an outage event is where traffic is terminating at some point within the cloud provider network. So not where you're, you know, you may just have some packet loss, but this is where um, you have some terminal interface um, before you reach your destination. And and so um, so it's, it's really kind of a, a pretty extreme event where um, traffic is just stopped flowing at some point within the cloud provider network. And that, and we term okay. that an outage. Okay. Mm. Now, you said overall they've held up pretty well. Does it matter what region we consider? You know, so, so many of the cloud providers, it seems like their biggest presences are in, in the U.S., let's say, and then they're standing up new data centers in various parts of the world over time. And so presumably they're maybe not as big. So is it, are they hurting maybe in Europe or Asia where they're okay in North America? Overall, I think, um, just to Lapal said, they've been doing really good, irrespective of region, um, right? What we are seeing in terms of these outages are around 20 to 25 outages a week globally, right? Now, even in that number, um, Asia and EMEA um, are seeing more outages um, compared to North America, and that could just be a byproduct of what you said, Ethan, is in North America, the, their infrastructure is uh, pretty robust and, and mature. But in APAC especially, um, there is a lot of, uh, they're building a lot of their um, environments and uh, there could possibly be um, some stability issues there. But over the last six weeks, uh, where we've been collecting this data and looking at it, EMEA and APAC definitely do stand out. Uh, but again, these numbers are really low. That's something to just keep in mind. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, when we're saying EMEA and APAC are standing out, that's like 10 outages uh, a week uh, across all, all public cloud providers. Not standing out because of newsmaking, horrifying problems, just statistically you happen to notice a little more from that area. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's about it, right? Um, and um, 
it doesn't like really surprise us in terms of the numbers being low with these cloud providers, um, you know, compared to what we've been seeing from an internet service provider perspective. I mean, these guys have um, pretty large uh, scale networks and they've been investing over the past few years in, you know, uh, making that network um, robust. And um, that's exactly what um, this data is showing that they were prepared for this and not prepared for this in the sense of prepared for COVID or but they, they are prepared in terms of addressing um, an influx of traffic and, and they've scaled out really well. Yeah, but it, it's interesting because, you know, while the cloud providers have done well in terms of network performance, users have to get to the cloud, right? Yep. And so, you know, if we consider how the ISPs have done over this same period of time, we have seen an increase in incidents. Um, in fact, you know, globally, a 60% increase um, from the first week of March um, compared to January. So, so that's been really interesting to see that as the traffic volumes increase, we saw a corresponding increase in, in outage events. Does it make any difference which cloud provider you're targeting? Because I know in cases like, say, Office 365, their plan is to get you attached as close to where you are as possible. Where I know some other cloud providers don't take that same approach. So I'm curious if if it depends on which cloud provider and also if you've seen any shift in the way that the cloud providers are trying to route that that sort of mid-mile onto their networks. So in the case of of the the outage incidents, um, weren't seeing that any, you know, these are sort of incidents that were taking place um, irrespective of what the um, uh, destination was. So we're just looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, where we're seeing um, a commonality um, in terms of traffic dropping in an ISP network. Now, from, um, you know, to your point, in terms of cloud architectures, you're right, there's, there is absolutely a difference. So if we look at other markers of performance, like latency and packet loss connecting into um, services or destinations within cloud providers, um, we do see, yes, you get into Microsoft's network very quickly, um, but overall, there hasn't been any um, really significant difference in latency or or packet loss connecting into any of these um, cloud providers. Um, it's interesting, though, we did see some latency spikes um, with uh, with a cloud provider where that was just simply a maintenance event that was taking place, and it actually didn't. It was overall latency was still pretty low, and it didn't impact um, the performance of the service that we were trying to reach. So, um, but 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 to your point, that is really interesting in terms of of how the cloud providers choose to um, pull traffic into their network, especially in in relation to AWS. I, I know Archie can speak to that as well. Yeah, I think in terms of you know how they pull traffic into the network, um, what that essentially means is that the reliance for the providers who actually, um, you know, are more backbone friendly. Uh, and we know uh, Azure is, is and GCP uh, by default are more backbone friendly in the sense that they absorb user traffic into their network much closer to um, the, the, you know, the source. Uh, their reliance on the internet or the ISP piece is just less. And I think... Mm-hmm. Um, we, we like to Angelique's point, irrespective of the destination, uh, we are seeing these uh, measurements, right? And the fact that um, 
even though for these few providers, they are expansive, their backbone is greater, we're not seeing um, a specific spike or, you know, within their backbone. So it's actually, even though they're covering more of the traffic um, footprint or area, they're actually doing uh, well. Oh. Right. Even though, you know, of course, AWS does have more internet exposure. Um, so, you know, take from that what you will in terms of um, how that might impact users when the ISPs are are experiencing more disruption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. we've seen the impact of the internet um, on AWS. Um, we do this research um, every year where we're comparing the performance and the connectivity of, of, you know, these big cloud providers. And in the past, uh, we have seen uh, the impact of relying on the internet, right? Um, That's pre-COVID or, you know, um, all of the current situation. There is an impact on relying on the internet. Your performance predictability can be questioned because, you know, the internet is a best effort network, right? Um, There is no guarantees or SLAs on the internet as a whole. So we did see some um, specifics um, in there with re- in terms of network latency when you're connecting to um, a more internet-intensive cloud provider like an AWS. Now, added on to that, right now, with these increase in outages, uh, what that's doing is essentially that, that fabric that joins the user to a cloud provider is, is, is a little weaker than um, it is from an outages perspective right now. Um, and that, again, can uh, impact uh, the user experience. Well, are you suggesting I should be using one of the Direct Connect services? Because that, that's been one of those things. It keeps coming up, you know, the Direct Connect and uh, Azure Peering and so on. Uh, should I be using that as opposed to just relying on the internet? I, and the toss-up in my brain has been, do I really want to pay for this extra dedicated circuit at Equinix or whatever? Or is the internet just going to be, for the most part, good enough? Right. Mm-hmm. When you think about Direct Connect, Ethan, that's really from an enterprise perspective, right? That connectivity piece for consumers um, um, who are accessing um, a service that's hosted in the cloud, Direct Connect doesn't do anything, right? So you, you, you just have the internet there. However, there are services in there like, you know, the global AWS Global Accelerator, for instance, right? Um, that's a service yeah. that AWS has, which gives you the choice of either using the internet or going over their backbone. Comes with a price, obviously. Um, <laughs> so the question is, um, is the ROI worth your spend, right? Like, so if you're thinking of adopting a new cloud service like the Accelerator, or I know Google has a premier and a standard service as well. Um, you know, the question is exactly what you asked. Is it, do I want to spend the money? or um, and, and if I decide to spend the money, what is it worth, you know, for my users? And what does that improvement look like? Um Definitely, you're going to rely lesser on the internet, so and you know, and more on these cloud provider backbones. So, in a way, in terms of um, just being able to predict performance, you have a, a more um, kind of a controlled environment of these providers. Um, but again, um, it's a question of um, what is it that going to be uh, worth it? Yeah, and and just to go back to that whole point about Direct Connect, Ethan. I mean, I think it's interesting because. You know, it is a very expensive um, service or, or, you know, across all of the cloud providers. And is it really worth uh, the spend? I mean, versus maybe just connecting um, the IPsec tunnel or 
Um, there's these other services that have been introduced. So for example, I think Microsoft announced um, at one of their events last year, a um, what they call like their Microsoft Azure peering service. And it's sort of meant to be kind of a, a service that's between um, just going over the internet versus um, uh, maybe using a more direct connection. And, um, and that's interesting because it's, it's as if they also sort of recognize that some of their enterprise users might want a, a little bit more assurance in terms of connecting to their services, but may not want to go down the path of using um, or, or doing like, for example, direct connect or express route. Um, and so, so it's important to understand like what you're getting with all of these different options um, from a performance standpoint before you, you know, pull the trigger and, and move forward with one of them. You just told me there's no one right answer. <laughs> there isn't, there isn't, there never is. I mean, it's really dependent on your business and what your tolerance level is and, and, and a whole host of things. It's, it would be really simple if we just said, nope, you just go with this service and then you're all good and you can call it a day. And, but, but it doesn't work that way. But the thing is, right, there is no right answer right now. And it's not that if, even the answer that works for you today is going to work for you tomorrow. Right? Mm, yeah, there's no steady state in the cloud and we we see that over and over again um uh, that what look good, what good looks like today might not be good tomorrow right so just having that um ability to understand that um, create kind of a readiness phase before jumping on to you know um cloud services and then continuously um looking at performance is is definitely critical yeah, and I think that's important not only from the standpoint of of how you you are choosing to on ramp to the cloud, but even within the cloud, it's interesting that there are these services you know where the the cloud providers are continuously um, looking at ways to further monetize their backbone. And so not only you know something like Global Accelerator, where you may then be using the backbone um, more heavily in the case of AWS, but also, there's this move to tiering across their backbone. So, you know, maybe getting a faster path once you enter their network um, versus not. And of course, if you're using any of those services or contemplating it, you want to know that you're getting the level of service that you expect versus, you know, if you just, um, if, if your your traffic was getting routed in, in a normal um, uh, fashion. Uh, there's there's so many architectural questions to be answered with any application deployment. Now, I know from watching your internet report, there's I don't know if it's weekly or monthly, how often you're doing it, but I watched your most recent internet report getting ready for this show, and you mentioned in there that uh, you gave an example of the the state of New York here in the United States. Their Department of Labor basically was inaccessible, collapsing under the load because so many people were trying to file unemployment claims. Can you comment on what you were seeing there? And, and let's talk about that with an, with an eye to how we as infrastructure architects should be designing infrastructure and applications to avoid that kind of a scenario. Right. Um, so to first part of the show is weekly. Um, we're trying to do it um, every Monday. But in terms of the New York Labor Department, what we saw um, essentially was um, most likely an overloaded um, piece of infrastructure within their data center. Um, so what we were seeing is there was no um, issues or disturbance from on the internet piece of things. 
Um, so we were talking about ISP outages and all of that, uh, but that was not the problem. Reaching to their, um, you know, um, ingress of their data center um, was not the problem, but it was beyond that within their own data center where they're hosting the app. So um, it's it obviously not a cloud serviced application. It was an on-prem um, application and um, there was a most likely a router there um, because we were seeing the same device um, consistently show issues um, over uh, time. Um, interestingly, it followed a time of day pattern. Um, we could see uh, packet loss, um, pretty heavy packet loss in that for that particular um, you know piece of infrastructure. The router there uh, was Monday to Friday. Uh, we were seeing um, increased packet loss from that uh, router, which was thereby impacting you know um, accessibility and availability. And then over the weekend, it, it quieted down. And then again, Monday to Friday, we started seeing, we've been seeing that for three weeks. The first two weeks was pretty significant. Um, the last week, it's kind of tapering down. So maybe it was a matter of adding uh, more capacity there in terms of how they're internally routing to their um, application itself. At first, I was going to say, hey, Ned, it wasn't the network. Ha! But now I can't say that, I guess. <laughs> it was the network. <laughs> it was the network, yeah. It was the network. <laughs> but, but it's interesting in, in that case, but because from a service delivery architecture standpoint, what really stood out to us was that they had a choke point with their network. You know, I mean, yes, they were hosted in a single data center, but they may not have ran into those same issues if they were front-ended by, say, a CDN provider, which would have kind of defrayed hmm. that. Um, so, so that certainly is, is one thing that we see that, you know, that, that, you know, wouldn't have created this choke point. And then also from the standpoint of being able to, I think they had mentioned that they were also adding server capacity at that data center to handle it from an application infrastructure standpoint. Um, and that's probably not going to be as, um, you know, not going to enable them to scale out as quickly as if they were hosted in a cloud provider and a lot, because the cloud providers also, they have a distributed network and, you know, they also have CDN services um, that seem to correspond with what we were seeing for applications that were having issues. They had a lot of um, technical debt. Um, they're either a legacy application or they were single data center hosted um, without a CDM provider. Um, and then the ones that were in the cloud providers seem to to be weathering um, this situation much more effectively. So, so Ned, maybe the question then is, um, <laughs> if the situation that they just described to us is they had to rack and stack new servers to scale, that kind of communicates an application design problem to me. It sounds like it's probably you know. both. Yeah. Uh, one of the problems that I certainly ran into when working in the data center and, and working with application architects is some applications, especially older ones, are not designed to scale horizontally. Meaning you can't just add more virtual machines or add virtual machines in a different place to scale out the load on that. Instead, the only way to scale the application is to keep it on that same box, but make the box bigger. Obviously the cloud can help with that, but that's more of a commitment to take your whole application, lift it up, take it over to Azure, AWS, whatever, drop it down, and then grow the size of the virtual machine. Plus, when you want to grow that size, you can't do that usually live. You have to take the whole application down. And there's nothing quite like the terror of shutting down 
a machine that's been running for a few years and booting it back up and like crossing your fingers and praying that you did everything right. So that's, yeah, there's some interesting lessons to be learned from that. In terms of network capacity, obviously data centers are going to have less network capacity, uh, but I'm curious if you've seen any specific regions in either the cloud providers or some of the software as a, solu- as a service offerings being overwhelmed during like peak hours in certain regions, if that's something you've seen in the traffic patterns? So we have seen, um, well, in this case, this was, um, it doesn't seem to be something where it's specific to a region. It seems like it's specific to the application provider themselves. And Mm -hmm. if they are simply not able to absorb the increase in traffic that they're getting, um, so in the case of some application providers where they are getting um, more users um, coming to them because they're offering, maybe they're a video conferencing um, application provider, where they are um, hosted um, in the cloud, then they seem to be able to keep up, at least from a network standpoint, where we have seen with some other application providers, not just this um, Department of Labor site, but others too, where there's been issues either from a network standpoint or even from an application standpoint, it's, it seems to be, um, it's, it, it's, again, it's not specific to a region. It's really about the provider themselves and where they're located. So it feels like so far the cloud providers are holding up. How you connect to them and what your application design is may merit some changes uh, overall. Um, we're hearing some companies are struggling a bit because of, of VPN. They're trying to monitor VDI performances. They deal with more people from home. But on the whole, that's not so bad. We've, we're kind of doing okay there as well. Uh, some problems, but they're individual problems. What about the core internet? How is that holding up from what you can tell? Overall, the internet is doing well from a performance standpoint. I mean, as I mentioned There was an increase in these outage events that we saw in March, but we don't actually think that necessarily points to some broader problem in terms of the ability of the service providers to keep up. It seemed like um, because what we were also seeing was that these outage events were, in a lot of cases, pretty long, so they were fairly sustained, and that doesn't indicate to us that it's related to network congestion, for example. It seemed like um, this is related to uh, network engineering activity that's, that was taking place. And that's, that's supported by the fact that as traffic started to plateau at the beginning of April, which is what's been reported by the ISPs and, and, and is borne out when we look at uh, traffic patterns in the IXPs, is that with that plateauing, we saw a pretty dramatic drop in the number of outages within ISP networks. And so that, to us, says that this that the increase in outages we were seeing was not, one, evidence that the internet was not keeping up with uh, the traffic or just simply a proportional increase in outage events as traffic levels increased. But it really was because there was a lot of state changes being made um, by the network operators, um, whether that be peering or infrastructure configuration. And once they made those changes to, um, you know, to accommodate this new reality, then we saw them drop. 
Um, so, you know, I think what that speaks to is that overall, um, the internet is doing pretty well um, beyond that little blip with outages, which again, didn't seem to be um, related to, um, you know, stuff breaking. The performance in terms of latency and packet loss doesn't look um, like it's following any kind of systemic pattern um, of degradation. So we think that overall, actually, we're doing pretty well. Uh, well, you, you mentioned that there's there's peering changes, uh, so that's mm-hmm. that's actually yeah. good. So, uh, so I happen to live in the Northeast U.S., and if you do enough trace routes, you'll find that you might be talking to someone the next town over. But even mm-hmm. though I'm in rural New Hampshire, uh, my traffic had to route through New York City to get over to the next town, whatever it was, because that's just the nature of a lot of the traffic patterns up here. As in peering and internet exchange points, that could be better up in this region. But it sounds like this has kind of forced the issue for some some of these regions. You're seeing more peering relationships, more IXP uh, interconnectivity, um, presumably taking off some of the load of places like New York and Chicago and so on that happen to be major internet junction points. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've heard from a lot of network operators, whether they be on the enterprise side or the service provider side, or even the cloud side, that there's been a lot of cooperation over the last few weeks um, to um, optimize the connectivity between them, um, to increase capacity, and um, and to your point, like you know, peer more broadly um, or change their peering patterns to um, you know to, to get through this period. So that's you know we know that you know to your point, there has been. Um, an increase in cooperation, um, you know, over over the last few weeks, which has been really interesting and and good to see overall. And and not just across, you know, ISPs, but also between ISPs and and bigger enterprises, right? Um, not only are they um, increasing their footprint of peering, um, but they're coming up with um, even innovative ways of um, cost sharing. For instance, um, is what we've heard. Um, in terms of how to um, do this uh, economically efficiently, right? Um, so I was talking to one of my colleagues who's actually in the IXP domain, and he was talking about, you know, how um, he's seen in, in terms of increased bandwidth, sometimes 4x to, you know, 6x increase in just capacity. And all of that, you know, increase in capacity right now, um, you know, through an exchange point is also so automated, Right, um, you can actually and orchestrate it that you can actually do it sitting remote and and get it up and going very quickly, and that's also been um, one of the drivers in terms of you know getting um, not just bandwidth and services, but getting them really fast. So not just the cloud, but also any kind of software-defined um, uh, enhancements that's been going on for the last few years is actually proving uh, to be really useful um, in these times. I'm curious if you saw a measurable decrease in traffic when Netflix and YouTube decided to go all standard death for their streaming. Because I know that was something that was brought up and some people sort of, sort of uh, guffawed at that. Like, that can't be that much traffic that it would decrease. So I'm curious, when they made that change, did you see a measurable decrease in internet traffic? 
Um, so that's, that's an interesting point that always comes up, right? And that was, I believe, something that was done in um, the EU. Now, did we see a decrease in, in the internet traffic? So one thing that we should, you know, uh, remember is the way we look at um, traffic right now is uh, from an active, you know, measurement standpoint, or um, it, it's basically by sending synthetic probes um, and we understand the traffic. So we're not looking at um, inline um, traffic data. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it's not it's not passive data collection. So we can't necessarily say if it brought down um, internet traffic. However, if you think about way um, the way Netflix is um, architected, right? You it's fronted by the CDN, so you're going to go to your closest edge. And uh, even if there's a data pull that happens, um, that happens in Netflix's um, network. That's not the mm. internet, right? And uh, the, talking about this, this change, it's if it's going from um, 720p to 180p, how much bandwidth that that's really consuming? Um, it's really small, so I don't see that being anything of concern, even in the last mile networks. But 1080p to 4K, um, yeah. that possibly could have, right? Again, the question mm-hmm. is, how many people are actually watching? Um, 4K or streaming 4K videos, right? Um, there are too many factors in there to actually talk about um, has it necessarily decreased the traffic? Uh, what I think is it's probably taken a little bit pressure off the last mile networks, uh, but not necessarily the um, core or the backbone of the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting there because Netflix has been brought up a lot, um, which is, you know, again, to Arshan's point, is a little bit odd because of the fact that they don't use transit providers, you know, this traffic is not flowing over backbone um, networks, or at least not very often, because you're more likely going to be streaming something that's cached locally, like at, you know, probably yeah. about a mile away. Um, so you're not going all the way back to Netflix's, uh, you know, uh, origin servers to, to, to get um, content. The other thing too, is that, in, at least in a lot of major metro areas, the service providers have heavily invested in, in in their capacity in order to support things like 4K streaming. So at least from a downstream standpoint, they they seem to be doing all right. Really where there's been this massive, massive shift is where the upstream um, uh, traffic has increased because of things like video conferencing applications or gaming so at least from the standpoint of Netflix, it seems like that's not something where it's heavily burdening um, uh, the the last mile. And it's still, as a lot of ISPs have reported, it's still something where it's taking place in off work hours and at a similar mm-hmm. level to what they'd seen pre-COVID-19. I just want to watch my Tiger King in 4K. That's, <laughs> right. that's all I'm asking for. <laughs> that's that's well, all we right. <laughs> you know, my experience with this has been Netflix resolution hasn't changed, but YouTube has. I've seen several times where mm. YouTube will drop the resolution even down to like something that's borderline unwatchable because it's so <laughs> heavily compressed. Uh, but if I manually go in and say bump it up to 720p so I can see like the text on a slide or something, whatever it is I'm watching, it'll immediately come come in. But they'll give me a degraded stream on YouTube. But again, not Netflix. Mm. Netflix has been no perceptible change at all because again, as you're saying, they're they put the content, a mirror of the content very close to the edge of all those eyeball networks. So yeah. Makes good sense. Well, a thousand eyes team, this has been a very interesting all of the data you've gotten and it does seem like 
we're holding up on the whole. We're holding up as an internet, as a as a cloud, et cetera. Um, but I'll leave it to you folks. Um, give us some takeaways. Give us some things you want people to remember as we close out this show. I think one thing that's um, interesting to point out is, you know, we talked a little bit about how performance, um, you know, has held up over this last period. And, and you know, to your point, we're, we're actually doing pretty well uh, from an internet performance standpoint, from a cloud network performance standpoint. But I think it's also important to understand that normal performance for ISPs and public cloud is not perfect. Um, there's a lot of issues that just happen during normal course of business, whether that be security related or um, outage events. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw uh, a route um, hijacking with a, a Russian telecom provider. We've seen that same incident with the same provider, and we've seen this um, uh, same type of activity over time. So even though we may be out of the woods from the standpoint of the traffic increasing, um, it's important to understand that things change and that, um, you know, there will be incidents going forward. Um, and that's just, that's just normal. Right. I think um, what people um, tend to uh, forget is that the connectivity piece from the user to the cloud um, has been the internet. The spotlight's on the internet right now because of COVID, um, but it's it's always been the connectivity, um, you know, mechanism, and that infrastructure, by very definition, is is best effort is is relies on trust, um, BGP especially, right? Um, it's a trust based mechanism, and that is fragile and vulnerable. So we will get through COVID, um, but it's not going to change that the internet or reliance on the internet is is greater now than. Or, and that it's a it's a pretty fragile um, infrastructure, resilient. But we need to um, remember that and and you know factor in for that when it comes to performance and um, service availability. Only if that were an easy problem to solve with all the attempts that have been made. But uh, yeah, we'll get there. But you know things like route origin verification and and the yeah. like will perhaps help. So okay, so fragile yet resilient, and uh, this is an ongoing problem we're going to need to solve as a global society going forward. Uh, what other takeaways have you got for us? I'd say, I mean, we touched upon it in our show, but, you know, understanding um, what performance means for you um, when you're adopting the cloud um, is, is critical, right? Like knowing what that ROI is for the, um, the, the check you're going to write is, I think, uh, really important. And the way you do that is essentially by, you know, working through kind of a readiness phase from just a performance perspective, right? Um, not just, you know, how you how are you gonna how are we gonna deploy it, but understanding what baselines you should have been commit to when it comes to um, you know, SLAs, for instance. I think that's one thing. And remembering that there is no steady state in the cloud, um, you know, continuously keeping an eye on it for two reasons. One is, you know, you can proactively catch issues before they happen. And also the second one being um, you can use the data to actually talk to the cloud providers to, you know, influence um, a resolution um, if there is an issue on their end. So I think just having the visibility um, pre-deployment, during and post-deployment is just critical. Yeah, that is right. If you've got hard data in hand that you can hand to the cloud provider and say, look, this is what's going on and it points to you, you need to fix it as opposed to them going, oh, it can't be us. It must be you. It stops that finger pointing nonsense, so you can actually yeah, get yeah, to a resolution. Yeah, totally. And 
and we've seen that, right? Um, uh, we've seen that um, when they have data and, um, you know, it's not about finger pointing, but it's about actually being able to collaborate and resolve the problem. Because at the end of the day, the cloud providers want their customers to have a, a good experience, right? Um, given that that market is so competitive, they don't want to lose um, a customer to another cloud provider just because they were not resolving an issue that they could. So I think just having the data to um, strive towards um, resolution um, and collaboration is, is critical. Anything else you want to leave us with before we wrap it up today? Um, follow us on our um, you know, new weekly podcast, The Internet Report. Um, Angelique and I, uh, we, we started that three weeks ago. Uh, we are looking at week-over-week trends um, on the state of the global internet. So some of the numbers that we've been talking about and you know the data that we've been talking about, we actually go through that. We discuss any significant outage that's happened um, and uh, have someone, um, a few guests as well these days and who are doing some interesting research and get their perspectives um, on the internet. So yeah, so feel free to um, follow us on the internet report. The internet report. And where am I going to find that? If I go to thousandeyes.com, if I, there'll be a link there for me or... Yeah, so you can go to uh, blog.thousandeyes.com and and the show is posted there. We're also um, on all of the major podcast platforms like iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. So you can subscribe there and we're also on YouTube. Got it. Okay. And then uh, you guys are on Twitter at Thousand Eyes. We can find you on LinkedIn, uh, Thousand Eyes as well. And uh, that, that is wonderful. Thank you, Archana and Angelique, for joining us today on Day 2 Cloud. And virtual high fives to you for tuning in and listening to our sponsor, Thousand Eyes, share what's actually going on with hard data in the internet and at all the cloud providers. If you have suggestions for future shows, things that you'd like us to talk about, we would love to hear them. We are on Twitter. I'm at EC Banks. Ned is at Ned1313. Ned's got a form in his super fancy website, nedinthecloud.com, if you would like to contact us that way. And hey, maybe you're a, a vendor. You've got a way cool cloud product that you'd like to share with our audience of IT professionals. You can do that. Become a Day2 Cloud sponsor. You will reach several thousand listeners, all of whom have problems to solve. And maybe your product fixes their problem. We're never going to know unless you tell them about your amazing solution. Find out more at packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. And until then, just remember that cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.